the lights go down and shadows fall. Welcome to a world of mysteries, of conspiracies, of hidden and forgotten knowledge. There's a world more strange, more frightening, and more fascinating than most people ever imagined or dared to contemplate. Your parents, your teachers, never told you the whole story, either out of ignorance or fear. Your politicians may know, but they keep their mouths shut. The door is opening. Throw off your chains and blinders, arm yourselves with the truth, and take a walk along the razor-sharp precipice of the Outer Edge. And welcome to another exciting edition of The Outer Edge. I'm Tim Swartz. With me tonight is my co-host, Mike Mutt, and our co-co-host, Tim Beckley. Gentlemen, how are you doing tonight? Hey. All right. Well, I'm doing, I'm doing fine. And uh, later on in the show, I'm going to have a very important uh, announcement. So everybody should stay close to their computer and give us a hard listen tonight. We yes, got a great show. Great show coming up. We're all pins uh, and needles for that announcement. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. I have well, a feeling I know what it's about, but I'm not yeah. going to say. Okay, guys, um we've got a full house tonight. Uh our our first guest. We got two guests tonight. Uh right. we have uh, uh Melissa Adair and then afterwards we have uh is that Sean uh, Sean Robbins, am I correct, Tim? That's correct. Correct. All right. Well, since uh, we want to give everyone uh, the proper amount of time, why don't we get right into uh, bringing uh, uh, Melissa in? And, okay. Uh, we'll just uh, let's let's just jump right into it. So, Melissa, are you with us? I'm here. Thanks for oh, having me. Fantastic. <laughs> well, uh, uh, thank you for uh, sticking with us. I had a little bit of a technical problems right at the beginning of the show, but uh, we're sounding good now. And uh, uh, welcome uh, to the Outer Edge. Thank you very much. I'm excited to be here. You guys sound like a lot of fun. Oh, we always have fun. <laughs> you know, I have I have a, a great new interest in Bigfoot. After I saw your uh, website, Melissa Bigfoot Chicks. So <laughs> I, I'm anxious to to uh, to ask you quite a few uh, questions now. You know, Melissa, it seems to me from watching uh, all the Bigfoot shows on on uh, television uh, that it seems to be a, a male dominated sport. Uh, are you one of the few women who have uh, expressed an interest in the subject? And why exactly are you interested in Bigfoot? Um, well, I would agree with you. It is, it, it pretty much is a male dominated, uh, hobby. Um, although I've, uh, in the 10 years that I've been doing this, um, I've seen more and more women come in, come into the, to the hobby and into the, the research and, uh, and which is great. Um, and, uh, I got into it with my dad, um, in 2005. He, I had been raised, you know, knowing he had an interest in Bigfoot, and I had uh, he had a, a book about strange and um, unusual encounters, and it had the the classic, you know, Patterson Gimlin uh, photo in it, and um, and he'd sing songs about Bigfoot. Anytime there was any kind of in search of, you know, on TV about Bigfoot or any kind of program about Bigfoot or the unexplained, I was always watching it with him as a little girl growing up. And uh, in uh, 2000. 
five, um, a few months before um, our first adventure together, we had lost my mother. And my dad came to me a few months after she passed away and told me that his interest in Bigfoot was alive and well and had um, had moved into the Internet, into the, the World Wide Web. And there was so much more information about it. And, and he'd come in contact with this organization called the BFRO, which was the Bigfoot Field Researchers Organization. That's Matt Moneymaker's organization. And they were having a, um, they, they basically gave expeditions all over the country and taught you how to look for Bigfoot. And I said, Dad, you should totally do that. That sounds like something right up your alley. That'd be really, really fun. And he's like, yeah, I don't know. There might be some really weird people there. I don't know if I should go. And and I'm like, well, you know, there probably are going to be some weirdos, but that's half the fun. And, uh, right. you know, we <laughs> and I said, if you don't want to go by yourself, I'll go with you. And he's like, okay. So, so he took me and he also took my brother, which was um, kind of a mistake because my brother's a really huge skeptic, but it kind of made it fun for us in the end. We ended up ditching him and um, <laughs> going off the best time ever. But um, anyway, you know, that's kind of how my interest began. And I just fell in love with it. It was just so fun. Um, I, I, you know, I'd always been um, interested. I, I grew up as a tomboy and I, I mostly there were boys to play with growing up and we'd always play war in the woods behind our house and we'd build forts and, you know, that, so I was really comfortable in the woods, loved being in the woods, loved, loved exploring. And so this was just reliving my childhood all over again, but with really cool, expensive toys. And um, so <laughs> we, I just fell in love with it. And so I became an, uh, a researcher for that organization for a few years and uh, then, you know, went on different expeditions all over the country and then through that met other groups. And uh, that's how I, um, I ended up meeting my research partner that I have today. That's helped me build Squatch Unlimited, Rob Godet. Um, and when I, when I first met Rob, I had my friend Angela with me and I had been dragging her into the woods with me to do this so I didn't have to go by myself and uh, we'd made videos and put them on the internet and this that and the other and Rob is a as a big um marketing media kind of guy a developer he does he's a tech guru anyway he knows all this stuff he's like you guys should really brand yourselves and put this stuff out there because you got some good content and and so he kind of branded us the Bigfoot chicks and and that's kind of how that was born and so have you ever seen Bigfoot I haven't seen him. <laughs> Heard seen him. him. We, assume, seen. we assume it's a them. right. Them. Um, uh. I, I, I haven't. I haven't yet seen one, but I think I've been awfully close to a couple. Right. So um, it's been really. I've had some really interesting experiences that I can't explain. And well, have, um, have you had any frightening experiences? Anything that kind of makes you feel really uneasy? Um. I well, I had an after the fact. Um, kind of thing that happened with with my with my dad actually I was in North Carolina and uh, my dad and I had led a small group um, of guys and it was really really cold it was like I don't know and you guys are probably all up north in a laugh but it was it was like <laughs> 17 it was like 17 degrees which was really cold for us and um, we were all wearing those hunter jumpsuits you know that you step in and zip up and you're got the big hood we all look like sasquatches walking down the road um, and so we walked um, across this road down this long gravel road into this old like pre-civil war cemetery and uh and so we we walked down to that end because there had been bigfoot sightings all over this area and we went down there and i and i i was on point i I always like to be the canary i go first and so i was going first and i felt really uneasy for some reason when i went down the road i had six men behind me so I i didn't um, you know, I shouldn't have felt that uneasy, but I did, but I kind of dismissed. Right. Were, they, were they armed? 
Uh, one, at least one of them was. And yeah, you, so, you, you, um, do go, you do go out with guns. Um, I, I, if I don't carry one, somebody in my group has one. I, I think it's smart to carry one uh, for a lot okay, of reasons. Sure it is. Yeah. yeah. Um, well. but, uh, but anyway, um, you know, so I, I felt a little uneasy and I wasn't really sure why. And I just kind of dismissed it because as you can imagine doing this kind of research, you can kind of psych yourself out sometimes. And so I thought, well, you know, I'm probably just getting, you know, I'm just working myself up. So I kind of pushed the feelings away to see if they kind of go away and, and they kind of subsided, but not all the way. But anyway, we walked all the way into this, um, area, sat down, you know, did some of the things that you do to try to draw Bigfoot in. We made some calls, did some wood knocks, all the things you see on TV or whatever. We'd done a little bit of that kind of stuff. And then we just sat and listened for a really long time. And, um, you know, didn't really hear too much of anything, but it was getting really cold and my dad was getting really cold. And I said, okay, you know, we'll just leave these guys here. They all had, well, two or three of them had night vision. And I said, we'll just leave these guys here. We'll walk back over to the camp and we'll get warm by the fire. And then we'll, you know, if they're having any action or anything, we'll come back. And so my dad and I walked back down the road that, um, that, that we came up and we left the other four guys in the cemetery. And, um, you know, we got back to camp, got warmed up, told the other people that in camp, you know, what we were doing or this, that, and the other. And when, um, I think I had to go to the bathroom or something, I went away from the group for a little while. And then somebody came running up to me frantic, Melissa, Melissa, did you tell us, show us the, the, the trail that you took to get back to the road? And I'm like, what are you talking about? And he said, well, we, we saw, was it you or your dad? We saw one of you split, you know, and go down, go down the road through the, through the woods, through this trail. And we thought you guys walked on the road. Hmm. And I'm like, no. I said, we walked shoulder to shoulder down that road. We never separated. And then the, that was just like that. Everybody gets that pit in their stomach. Like, what was it? What did we see? You know, kind of thing. And so we yeah. all go tearing back over there and recreate the whole thing, you know? And so we get more people up there with more night vision and, uh, and, and, and we, we walked the same way. And, um, and they said, nope, whatever we saw cut through the woods. We thought it was one of you taking a detour down to the road because of, you know, similar. Similar heat signature at first, and then when they when they looked or not heat signature, you can't see heat signatures with the night vision. But they said similar look, and then they realized that whatever whatever it was wasn't mm-hmm. us. And and then interesting to note from that same experience is as we were walking out, my dad and I, my dad turned and looked back behind him and walked a few paces, and I'm like, "Are you okay?" He goes, "Yeah, I thought I heard somebody coming behind us." Yeah. So, and I, that, at least I was going to ask you if you are you familiar with David Pilates' research? Um, what, his missing four one one book. Yes. Yeah. Okay. 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 Yeah. You know what happens usually? It's usually the last person in line that disappears. <laughs> right. And we were walking side by side. So, um, uh, it was just, it was really, really interesting. And we went back, you know, in the morning to look for some track and sign and we, we couldn't find much. And it, the ground was frozen solid and there, there just, there wasn't a whole lot, um, that we could see that, you know, some impressions that might have been there, but they certainly weren't castable. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it was just exciting all the same. But that, that was one of the only times where it was like after the fact, I'm like, oh my gosh, there was something right behind us, you know? So, um, and, and that on that same road, one of the people that I have done research with before actually caught some thermal footage of something moving through the woods that was really, really big. So, um, so, you know, I think that's a, a pretty, 
that that area has a history of of sightings and that's then, interesting. What part of North it, Carolina was this? Um, it's outside of Charlotte. Outside of Charlotte, okay. Uari's National Forest. Listen, um, so, is that video, that thermal video, is that in your evidence section on your website? Um, the, the video, video, video. Oh no, that that is um, Mike Green's footage. And you can okay. find it on the internet. That wasn't my footage, so it's um, yeah, it's uh, you can find it on the internet certainly. But um, cool. but yeah, that was his. So, it, Melissa, his. do do you think that Bigfoot is kidnapping humans? Is that a possibility? You know, um, it's it's sure certainly certainly it's a possibility. Um, most of the reports that we that we see. Um, online or that come to us through word of mouth or whatever most of the reports we see it's just people have seen these things you know their their world is shattered because what they thought was you know the uh, what they thought the world was wasn't you know it was di- you know the, and and people's behaviors change like hunters that weren't you know these big burly men that you know you know kill a squirrel and eat it raw on the spot you know these big they just you know <laughs> yeah, these yeah. kind of guys go out in the in the woods and then they're scared to death they won't go back in the woods and um wow. you know they they their behaviors are changed and it's like if they do go back they've changed their patterns they've changed they take people with them they come heavily armed and they don't right. stay long they go in and they make sure they're out by you know a certain time or whatever and that to me when you when you interview these people and look in their eyes and it's just right. you know it's incredible something something's out there and these people were scared you know well, it, it was Think about it. it. I mean, you see something that you see something eight, nine, ten feet tall. Right. Humanoid probably weighs at least a thousand pounds. That that's going to be a little intimidating. Absolutely, and um, and so you know, mo- most of the reports we hear, it was an intimidation kind of a thing. They they scared the people off, you know, or right. whatever. Um, there are a few reports out there where it was more of a violent encounter, but, you know, right. we hear things through the grapevine that there might be other reports like that, but they don't tend to surface as now, much. Now, wasn't, so, wasn't one of the first uh, reports but back in the 1924-25, some prospectors were attacked by Bigfoot inside their cabin? Yep. And um, yeah, that's the, the famous prospector um, ca- cabin one where they um, – they were the, something they threw. Think, yeah. yeah, Ape Canyon. Yeah, they threw rocks at them all night. And um, it, it, now, is, is, is that the first uh, acknowledged Bigfoot sighting? I mean, I know the American uh, natives have uh, legends, of course, of Sasquatch and Bigfoot and other uh, beings like that. But is that the first kind of recorded um, sighting of Bigfoot? No, actually, um, the t- the the term Bigfoot I think was coined in either the 1920s or the 1950s. I can't remember which, but it, that's um, that that's a, a more recent term. But yeah. on our website on SquatchUnlimited.org, we have um, articles that date back as early as 1700 oh that speak of that speak of these um, hair. They call yes. they refer to them as hairy wild men back there or wild oh. men. So wild men sightings happened, you know clear back to the 1700s and especially along right. the new frontier and you know there's even stories of these things being captured and um you know by these cowboy types and i've and in i've been on some other radio programs and they're like you know why can't we catch one today and i'm like well you know um <laughs> there's a, a lot of reasons for that but uh it, and we're getting closer i said but you know back on the new frontier 
all these these men you know this is kind of my theory but these guys were these were young guys they were they were all ranch hands or farmers these were strong hardy men that were in shape always outside and if you got 12 these big burly men that are in shape that are working together to wrestle something down you know yeah. that are that always they are always they're living on the new frontier they are ready for anything every day and their level of fear kind of goes down because they have to you know be ready for anything you know it's kind of it's just a whole different world now we live in a concrete jungle and our senses are you know crap because we live and inside that's, and you know, that's why you, you you trust your instincts like you were talking right. about going in and, and you had that weird feeling and you tried mm-hmm. to you tried to talk yourself out of it right say. but that's your right. that that's an instinct that goes back for thousands of years uh, right now now M- melissa all the uh, reports of Sasquatch, Bigfoot, whatever you call it, I guess, but uh, has been seen in almost every every state in the, the U.S. here, and uh, of course in Russia and China and and so forth. Are we dealing with one type of creature, or like UFOs, are they coming from different places? Um, that's a great question. You know that the, the um, there are footprints and tracks found all over the globe, and yep. they they all speak to um, a musculature, a skeletal structure. You know, a humanoid type foot with ten toes. In most cases, sometimes they have fewer toes, um, but you know, very humanoid looking feet, and they all span. You know, their measurements can well. They're all different sizes, but of the larger ones, they go you know from like eighteen inches long up to like twenty two, twenty four. 26 inches long in some cases um but they've been you know found all over the globe um the sightings of these creatures you know they seem to have a lot of similarities but there are differences i mean there's the 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 fur that they describe or the hair on these creatures you know in down in the south we tend to hear reports of them being like a auburn brown color or or right. you know have a lot of, have a lot of red in them or sometimes they're just there, brown there, there have even been reports that i've gotten from california of albino bigfoot Right. And up, up north, yes. there's some albino looking ones. And, uh-huh. um, and just, you know, and then out west in the Pacific Northwest, they seem to be a little taller and they're usually black. And, and then, you know, in Asia with the Yeti and the Yaren, these things are really tall and they're, um, they're, I don't know, they're described a little maybe shaggier and thicker than the ones in the U.S. And, but, you know, more or less, the same creature. So, you know, I'm thinking right. maybe there's different races of the same. Now, do you think, here, here's the question that always pops up into my mind. Do you think that they're physical or could some of this be a psychic paranormal manifestation? Um, you know, there's all kinds of people that have all kinds of opinions about that. Um, I personally believe that it's, that it's just, um, a creature, a flesh and blood creature. Um, some sort of, um, un- as yet unidentified upright walking primate, you know. Right. And, well, look, um, let me, let me ask you this. I mean, first you guys mentioned white ones. And of course, the Lake Worth monster in Texas, very famous Bigfoot sighting and photograph was, was white. But right. there's, there, there's also a lady in Texas who's, who's been largely ridiculed for her DNA findings. But if you really look at what she found, it is, it's interesting. You talked about other races, and we're mm-hmm. talking about mitochondrial DNA that's human, and the rest of the DNA is not. And the mitochondrial DNA apparently came back from various races, like, you know, uh, everything from European to Native American to Asian to even African. Um, but the again, that's only the mitochondrial DNA. So, what's your opinion on, on that? Um, as as far as the study, you mean, right? Or, 
Well, just um, in general, because, you know, this is something that goes back for hundreds or even thousands of years. These these legends of these hairy man beasts that, to be blunt, who, they, they kidnap women um, yeah. for whatever their purposes are. So I'm just wondering what your, what your opinion is on this. Um, I, I certainly think that it's possible that there could be different different races or different breeds. Um, but if they're humanoid or, or right. in some way or some form, I think that's certainly possible. As far as that study, I, I really that's kind of been proven to be something that you, you, you can't really hold up to any kind of legitimate science. So I have to kind of set that aside. Although, like you said, there are some interesting things to come out of that study. Right. Um, <clears throat> but, but certainly, um, there there. It's just really, it's really, really interesting. And you brought up, you know, about kidnapping women. One of the, one of the, um, reports, one of my favorite reports that I have read that's just really mysterious comes out of, um, one of the Asian countries. And, uh, you know, this woman was taken. And, um, and they, and some, I guess somebody saw her. The evidence pointed to the fact that, um, well, no, someone did see it. They saw her be taken off by one of these creatures. And then they, they found the footprints. And then she wasn't seen for, you know, a while and they just assumed she was dead and then she wandered back into the village and it was as if she had been drugged and she was like out of it and just right kind of, yes i'm just, familiar with the story yeah and then yeah, like a, yeah. i guess the next next uh, i don't know a, f- a short time later in a village next door you know <laughs> or something else happened to a boy same yeah. thing he was gone yeah. for a few days and he came back and it was as if he was drugged and i just found that fascinating so well, um well, here's another thing to think about. I mean, the Human Genome Project, uh, recent findings indicate beyond any doubt that, for instance, Europeans are anywhere from 2 to 4% Neanderthal. Uh, Asians are anywhere from uh, like 2% Neanderthal, uh, 2% Denisovan. Um, Sub-Saharan Africans don't have any Neanderthal or Denisovan DNA, but they have another type of primate DNA, which is even older. And this is a fact. These are facts that are now scientifically right, right. proven. So if if Upright bipedal humanoids and hominids have been interbreeding with each other for for thousands or even millions of years, which of course will give rise to the races as as we know them, then why couldn't these things be doing the same thing? Absolutely. Absolutely, I agree. Well, I mean, you know, you you have all kinds of uh, Native American legends that that speak of that. You know, I mean, the uh, 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 women uh, kidnapped by uh, uh, these uh, wild men and uh, raise a family with them. That's right. There was one uh, story I ran across not too long ago where the woman actually got away and told how, I mean, she was uh, she became, uh, you know, like a wife and uh, had several several children. There's some book out there. I don't have the book, but. I think Tim didn't you say you got a copy of it. Something called the Sexual Sasquatch. Oh, that's <laughs> <laughs> that 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 book was just purely for um, exploitation. <laughs> exploitation. And, and we didn't and we didn't publish it. We did no. not publish that. <laughs> <laughs> everything else yeah, we have, but not certainly not that one. But you know, uh, you know, though, I mean, you know, we we kind of dance around that subject. Yes. Uh, but uh, you know, I mean, it's uh, uh, you know, I think it's a very real possibility that uh, you know there um, there could actually have been or, or continue to be you know interbreeding between uh, the the subspecies, you know, the uh, Homo sapiens sapiens and and whatever these these things are. Yeah, I think that there could very you well gotta, be too because you gotta this watch is something out. that's everywhere. I tell the you, every woman are. has to wa- every woman has to watch out for Bigfoot, 
Alien Kidnappers and Bill Cosby, and uh, you know, it's, <laughs> oh. not, it's, not, it's not it's it's not a okay. safe world out there. It was Tim Beckley who said that. <laughs> <laughs> but interesting. But, well, how intelligent would you say, Melissa, these beings are? I mean, there's some people who claim – I remember talking to a guy down in Florida who claimed that uh, a family uh, of Bigfoot had a nest in his backyard. He was had off a big backyard, and he could communicate with them telepathically. I, I think they're highly, highly intelligent creatures, and I think they also probably have some highly developed um, – sensory abilities uh, that allow that help them to remain elusive uh, if you think about it like dolphins have been around for centuries and dolphins you know it's science has just uncovered in the last 20 years have these really remarkable abilities to communicate with each other and these abilities to kind of um, to help like children with disabilities in the water they just they can kind of bond with them and encourage them to to move limbs that are weakened or um even with depression and that kind of things people that swim with dolphins that tends to help them with with their depressions and mental health issues so they they kind of have these extra abilities um that are you know that science is just now starting to to discover and um and and understand and so if these things have been around you know for centuries, um, it, it, and they've lived wild. Certainly, <laughs> they, it stands to reason that they might have some heightened um, sensory abilities that you know allow them to to know faster than we could ever know. You know that something's right. w- in within a mile of us, or um, you know, or kind of like the ability to hide in plain sight. The masters of camouflage, well, you know, I, just. They, I, Here's a, here's a question. I mean, think about this. If they're part human, and if they're regularly, regularly having you know an, an interjection of human DNA, human genetic material, as they continue to develop, then you might as well call them another race of human. Okay. You know, and and, and they and, they could be sure. And and the other thing is, if that's so, then they could be you know sequentially becoming smarter and smarter. As time goes by, which means they could be at least as smart as we are, if not even more smart, more intelligent. And, and by that, I mean we already know that they're very large and powerful. And, and there's something in 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 uh, genetics called hybrid vigor. Do you know what I'm talking about? I've heard the term. Yeah, hybrid vigor. When you take two closely related species and you and you mix them together, you will often get a stronger, smarter. Um, healthier specimen than either of the two parent species were. Right. And so it makes you wonder if that's not where these things have originated. You know, if they are the products of centuries and centuries and centuries of hybrid vigor. It could be. And, and you know, there's a lot of evidence to support that they live in, in family groups as well. And uh, one of the famous stories from 1924, Albert Osman being, um, right. you know, kidnapped right. and taken, um, and kind of observed this family group and and how they interacted with each other. I, you know, if I, and, there's, and then there's been other reports too that are not as famous. Uh, other right. reports too that are not as famous as that particular one. That well, um, tell, tell us know, a little bit about that one. That about the um, yeah. that case. Yeah. Um, uh-huh. As I under as I understand it from what I've read, he um, 
you know, I think was camping and did, and in a sleeping bag and got scooped up and carried off mm. and, um, and woke up and realized he was in, in their camp kind of a thing. And, um, you know, he has observed, I believe two, um, oh, I guess there were three, three other individuals there. And I, I think he described it kind of like as maybe a, a female that was slightly, um, smaller in stature than than the male that i guess presumably had carried him off and then two smaller ones so it's like a kind of like a family group and he observed um the i think that's how he got away it's been a long time since i've read the story but the um i think how he got away is he um put out his coffee grounds or something and they, they the thing uh the big male i guess tipped up the coffee grounds and i actually ate <laughs> ate it straight out right, of the can or what right. tipped it up and that kind of thing. So um that's real it's like I said, it's been a long time since I read the story, but just that's that's what I remember from it. And um just the, what I found fascinating is that he just kinda observed that they lived in this like this family group, that they seemed to have a camp and a way of communicating with one another and he observed them kind of talking to each other and making sounds and gesturing to each other. So I just I found that fascinating. Right. Have, yeah, have he you, was. You, uh, you, he uh, let me let me say this, Mike. Okay, he, sure. he had the he had the uncomfortable opinion that he had been kidnapped as a husband for the exactly. uh, the younger daughter. That's what I was <laughs> going to say. Family group. <laughs> yeah. 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 He was under the impression that the, that the daughter was giving him the big eye, basically. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> so he, real, he, he. That's a real he hairy situation. That's a real hairy situation. I'll yes, tell you. it is. Oh, right. Yes. But, right. but uh, you know, another thing I was going to ask you about: Are you familiar with uh, Teddy Roosevelt's uh, his account, account, which supposedly yeah. was true in, in his book, The Wilderness Hunter? Right, right. Um, yeah, that was a fascinating account as well. And it was it. It was not the president himself, but his friend. No. Right. His he was. Yeah, he was recounting something that he believed to be true that others had told him about someone, right. named, a, a hunter named Bowman or Bowman. Right, was, and I remember who, that yeah. it was trappers that went out, and it was like an area that, like the the something about the animals, like didn't know to be afraid of, of the people. They'd never encountered people because they would just like right. leave their traps out, and the animals would like just walk into their traps because right. it they didn't know to be afraid, or, or I mean, they just obviously it wasn't a peopled environment at all. They, right. they had no idea, and, and so it makes, well, it makes you wonder if perhaps Native Americans stayed out of that area. Because they knew there was something there that didn't want them there. Right. Yeah. And a, a lot of the Native American legend and lore, you know, speaks to that, that they, you know, they told their kids not to whistle in the woods and there were certain parts of the forest they didn't go into. Right. And they had, you know, they very much respected the space of these creatures and you know, just kind of left them, it made sure that they stayed out of their way. So, have you have you heard anything about the conflicts people claim to have had in recent years in the Sierras with with tribes of hostile Bigfoot? I um I've I've just heard like little murmurs that I that I read about online. I don't really know much about it. But I would love to hear about it if you know about it. Yeah, basically some guys have gone up there. Actually, this this goes back to Native American legends in that area that, that the Native Americans once had a war with these things, an actual war. And finally they kind of came to a grudging uh, truce, but like you said, they were areas they would not go. And right. they would stay out of their – the Bigfoot areas and the Bigfoot would stay out of their areas. But they treated them like they were another tribe of people. And recently – of course, these were cannibals. These they, they said these beans were cannibals. And 
recently there were some guys who who apparently went there and they had a, an encounter with these things where their jeeps got or their trucks got st- stuck in the mud and while they were camping or something you know that they they were basically terrorized the whole time they were there when they went to leave you know they they felt like they were lucky to get out of the, out of the area and they when they got back to town or whatever they found that they had a literal sort of a greasy skin oil print of a face pressed up against the window of one of the trucks oh wow that's creepy <laughs> yeah. and they actually like got a good good image of this i mean you can actually see like the skin Texture and everything. That, that's kind of like the Shroud of Turin or something, right? Shroud yeah. of Bigfoot. Yeah. <laughs> Bigfoot Shroud. Hey, uh, Melissa, you know, in the UFO uh, field, uh, we have a lot of uh, celebrities who have seen uh, UFOs. Any encounters uh, with the Bigfoot as far as celebrities go? Um, celebrities, celebrities. Mm. Well, I, I know there was a, a Playboy uh, uh was it a Playboy bunny or a Playboy centerfold uh, who supposedly had an encounter on the on the road, uh, ran in front of the van she was in or something? But that that's a um, you know, like a big celebrity. Yeah, but, I, don't, oh, I don't, I you know, I don't, I, nobody, nobody that just jumps out at me. Uh-huh. <laughs> nobody. It's gonna say the only stuff that I've heard is like probably you know not true or whatever, just a joke or whatever. So uh, probably, yeah, but no, probably, Ra- probably Rodney Dangerfield because he gets no respect. Yeah. So you know, I guess. <laughs> Hey, hey uh, speaking of uh, Playboy uh, bunnies, I understand that there is a Bigfoot uh, calendar. Yeah, Bigfoot, Bigfoot babes. babes calendar. Yeah. Yes. What's, what's, yes. what's that all about? Um, it's a group out of Kentucky that put the calendar together, and uh, they um, they did it right before Christmas, and they raised um, a, quite a bit of money, and they were able to donate one hundred percent of the proceeds to a charity. What, what um, month so, are you? I'm Miss May. Miss May. <laughs> Miss what, May. What charity did you did you donate to? Um, I be, it was a, a a boy and girls home. Um, oh, that's some sort great. Of home for battered children, I believe, or something oh, like that. That's awesome. Um, so I guess I guess they're still on sale if you Google uh, uh, Bigfoot Babe calendar. Um, I, you know what? There's been requ- a lot of requests for them. So, um, the person well, to hit up is, is, is Charlie Raymond out of Kentucky. So we'll have to post that on our site that uh-huh. people want calendars and see if he can get some more out. Well, I, I would, th- I mean, I, I think that's a heck of a calendar. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm ordering three copies. Just strictly, 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 strictly for research purposes. You understand? Right, right. Well, it's all it, all of the ladies that are featured in the calendar are researchers, and the the most I believe most of the pictures were taken of them doing research in the field. So, oh, well, not the cool. swimsuit edition or anything. So. <laughs> you don't want to go into the, that'll into be the, that'll be the one that uh, that we do yeah. next year. <laughs> you don't want, you don't want to go into a Bigfoot haunted area. Uh, wearing your swimsuit. That might <laughs> no, no, not a, not a good idea. Not a good idea. <clears throat> well, now, uh, speak, speaking of uh, of research, Melissa. Now, when when you go out in the field, why don't you tell us about the uh, the process? I mean, what uh, what do you do uh, when you go out to uh, to look for a Bigfoot? Um, well, uh, my research partner Rob and I, we usually scour an area um, online and look. You know, we d- look through our database and other databases as well, and we look for sighting reports. And we also um, try to follow up on any reports that have come to us out of a given area. And then we, you know, look at a lot of topographical maps, and we look to see what makes the most sense about where, you know, 
a, a big game creature would live. There's got to be fresh water. They've got to have access to it. Um, they've got to have a, an area that's more or less protected from hunting. You know, we, we, you know, we factor in all these, these things. We do a lot of, um, driving around and surveying the area, um, if possible before we set up our camp. And, um, and then we spend, we try to spend at least a good five to seven days at a time, um, in the woods and, and we'll just sometimes the first day or so we just go in and act like normal campers. You know, we just kind of, we just, we are constantly observing what's, what's going on around us and listening and just taking it all in, just trying to get, get the lay of the land. Um, we do that, you know, usually first. And then, um, if we haven't had anything unusual to happen, you know, we, we try to be interesting and, and, and make things happen. We've also had a lot of success with, um, some baiting techniques that we've done. Um, we'll actually go in, um, usually on the second or third day and we'll take, um, jello powder, which we learned about from some hog hunters actually, <laughs> but we'll take oh. jello powder, jello powder and we'll go into an area and we'll throw it. Um, up into a tree or into the bark of a tree and into bushes or whatever. The theory being that, you know, it, it has a really strong fruity smell. And then the, the, um, you know, a breeze can come through and, and carry it even further. And so, and, and we've tested it and it really works. And very, very jello works the best, by the way, anybody listening. Um, if you throw that out, it's the blueberry jello. If you throw it out and come back a couple of hours later, it is like complete, you can smell it like a half mile before you get to it. It's amazing. And wow. so we, we use that. Um, we, we try different things. We throw out garlic powder. We throw out coffee. Um, yeah. sometimes I'll, I'll make a mixture of like, like sardines, onions, and garlic, which is nasty. And, um, and I'll, uh, and I'll, um, I'll put that in like a, um, uh, some sort of a plastic container with holes in it or make like a cage to put it in and dangle it either in a tree or from a bridge or whatever. We try to keep it away. Yeah. From raccoons. Like one place we did, it was like a a bridge that an old bridge, an abandoned bridge over, um, over this um, river or creek area. And it, it, that seemed to work well. It seemed like the raccoons couldn't get to it very well. So, yeah, we try to do that. Raccoons obviously will come out for it. But, um, we, we, you know, we did that. Um, we've done it several times. And one time um, we we were kind of camping at a point where there were three trails, like one in front of us and one on either side of us. And we had done different scented things on different sides. And then we'd hung that nasty concoction and not far from where we're camping and so you know we're just sitting around the fire and it's i don't know probably one o'clock in the morning we're getting you know it's like the third day and you're completely sleep deprived and you're like i don't know if i can do it all nighter again you know and you're just like okay i think i'm gonna go to the tent now and <clears throat> just about that time i think we were all nodding off around the fire this enormous rock clack happened i mean it jolted me out of my chair and it wasn't far and it was right down on the creek and so you know we just we were like sitting up ramrod straight in our chairs at that point like what was that and and so we couldn't see anything with our cameras um and so we just kind of stayed up a little longer and, and never really heard anything more but when we went out on our hike the next day we found these footprints um in the water i mean they weren't castable because they were in the shallow part of the stream and it was way up high on an embankment so it wasn't easy to get down in there but we have pictures of them you can see them on our website but there's these um, these footprints and it was like 
30 degrees and had been every night. So I don't know who would be walking through the water in 30 degrees, especially when no one was camping around us. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, it's really, and things just kind of make you scratch your head and go, Hmm, you know, wonder if, I wonder if, I wonder if that stuff worked, you know, they were coming in to check, but the theory is that the smells drive in all kinds of wildlife to check out the smells, which hopefully bring in, you know, bigger things to check out the little things that are all moving. So, um, you know, that's the theory behind that. We, we, we're still kind of working with that and testing that to see how well it works in different places. But, you know, we, we, it seems like when we throw it out, we do, we do usually have something interesting have you, happen. Have right. you had stuff disappear from your campsite? Um, I haven't, but I've had a free ch- researcher friends who have. Yes. Um, and so, but then again, it's like, you know, what disappeared, it, it could have been a raccoon. That, I was going to say, I should say, raccoons have taken plenty of my stuff. But, <laughs> but raccoons ate my birthday cake that we left out one time oh. when it was my birthday. Yeah, I know. I was really bummed. But, um, <laughs> but yeah. Uh, <laughs> that, been a, that would have been a good uh, photo for the uh, internet. I, birthday cake all over the raccoon. I, I just think well, I could just see that. Had, that would get so many like, likes. Incredible. I, it on Facebook, would. Right? It yeah, would. Yeah. And it it was totally dug out of the center, you know, the cake boxes that are, you know, have the cellophane on top and you can see through. They had pushed through the cellophane and dug a giant hole out of my cake. But anyway. Wow. Well, but, uh, well, listen, you said something about the about the blueberry jello being effective. And, you know, mm-hmm. in, in the wild, huckleberries are really what blueberries were, 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 were bred, developed from. Right, and huckle, right. Huckleberries are a wild fruit pretty much all over, you know, North America, as well as blackberries. And so, um, yeah, that makes sense that, that because the, the, the odor of a blueberry is like taking a huckleberry and magnifying it a thousand times. You know what I mean? So that right. would really, really attract them probably. Yeah. So we, we, we feel like we're, you know, getting some success with that and we experiment with it whenever we can. So, um, it's, uh, you know, it's, I think it's, you know, one of those things you just have to, different researchers try different things. I know a lot of people use peanut butter. Um, I have, I have smeared peanut butter on a tree up high a couple of times and I've seen little, you know, little raccoon handprints in it and stuff. Um, one time I saw, um, where, what looked like where somebody, like a person had wiped their hand across the tree. Wow. Um, and so, you know, that was interesting. So you, you put, you put your stuff at a certain height, I take it. So we usually put it up sure. really high so that, yeah. so that we know for sure that it's, um, you know, it's either a raccoon, his raccoon, you know, can climb trees or whatever, but right. you know, it's just, um, it's either a raccoon, but usually it's very obvious when it's a raccoon. Right. So, <clears throat> and there's, you know, other people have, um, that I have been with have like, they'll, they'll dangle, um, CDs with peanut butter smeared on them or something. And just to be interesting, they'll dangle them from tree limbs or whatever. So that might be a um, good way to get a fingerprint. Yeah, yeah. There, I mean, there's all different things people try, you know, to get any kind of DNA or any kind of a print or what. It just all kinds of can, stuff can happen. So, um, what, what, but anyway, what's yeah. the likely what, what's the likelihood that the you know science, the scientific community is so dead against dead set against any of this, whether it's Bigfoot, UFOs. Uh, poltergeist, you know, it just can't possibly exist in their minute little, uh, world. What, what's the chance that, uh, one of these will ever be captured and you could bring them into where they can be scrutinized? Although I, if I were a Bigfoot, I'd run for my life if I knew that were the case. <laughs> Except perhaps if you were coming out there to, uh, 
I surrender. Well, you know, I think there's a, I think there's a good chance that at some point there's going to be really good documentation of these creatures. But you know, there's this, there's this huge division in Bigfoot land about kill no kill. You know, if yeah. if a body is what it would take to to settle the debate and this that and the other. And I'm I'm on the no kill side uh, of the argument, but um, but I understand the the, right. the need that people have for the body. But honestly, I feel like even if I went out today and shot one and you know hooked it up to my FJ oh, and pulled only, it up, only in, only in self <laughs> only in self defense. You know, I just I don't think. I don't. I think that I would be called a hoaxer, and I think that um, yeah. that that no one would believe me, and that you know, even if the DNA came back, that somebody somewhere would try to screw around with that, and it yeah. would just. I think it would be very difficult for me to prove it, and well, even you know, with you, a body right there. Well, you know why you don't have bodies, right? Well, there's a lot of theories on that, but you tell me yours. <laughs> I think that these being that they are so intelligent that they're at least as intelligent as we are, and they make sure that they that they gather their dead. Right. I was going to say that a lot of the theories are pointing to that they actually bury their dead. So, right. Um, and, and some of these giant skeletons that have been found around the around North America in right. caves and stuff. I suspect that that even if they have long reddish hair, or whatever whatever it is that they claim, I think that these may be either. Either these these very creatures or something that's closely related, maybe ancestral to them in some way. Right, right. Um, yeah, I was going to say there's there's all kinds of um like you had said like mounds that have been unearthed and they find all kinds of interesting things. Um, you know the large bones, the large skulls, and and it just it it kind of kind of supports that argument that perhaps they do bury them. And then of course there are reports. Um, you know the off report that somebody way out somewhere saw. A group of them carrying one, you know, and look like look like they were in the act of burying it, and this kind of thing. Right. So, you know, if you can believe those reports, then it, it would it would stand to reason that that you know perhaps they do bury their dead. Wow. Well, it's you know it's really surprised me though that um, one hasn't gotten hit by a car or, or or a truck. Now, I mean, you know, we've seen a couple of hoaxers actually get run over by a car. Which, which I think goes to show who's more intelligent, you know, the Sasquatch or, or the humans. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, you know, I mean, it, it surprises me, you know, at this point, you know, considering the amount of traffic there is everywhere now, that one, and I mean, you're always hearing these stories about, you know, people say, yeah, you know, we were driving down the road and one ran right out in front of the car. Uh, but yet, so, you know, so far, uh, there, hasn't, uh, there hasn't been a body produced from somebody accidentally running one over. Yeah, I think they're smart enough to stay out of the road. But there's been several road crossing ones that are. I mean, one of the people that I um, interviewed that that saw one, um, she was driving down the road late at night. It was on Thanksgiving one one year, maybe I don't know, twenty years ago, and it, she saw a person walking alongside the road, and or at least she thought it was a person, and then they started to walk. And crossed the road, and she was away from him at this point. But the closer she got, she slowed down because she realized something was wrong—that it it wasn't a person. And um, or if they were a person, they were like they were completely covered in hair from head to toe. And then when she she said, you know, she watched it, and she came to a dead stop with her lights right on it, and it stopped in that classic kind of pose that you see. And it turned. It said it didn't have a neck, and it just turned its shoulders, so its head was like she goes, and their eyes locked. Um, 
for a moment and she said then it turned and it took it took like two steps and then jumped off down into a ravine and um she said it was the most she goes i just i sat there like what what <laughs> you know what did i just experience and what was that and um and so and she said it crossed two lanes in like three steps three strides or whatever and um she said it was it was huge enormous whatever it was and um she said she just you know was kind of spellbound by it when she saw it so um but yeah and i've i've heard multiple uh, multiple reports of people seeing them either walking alongside the road or crossing the road also interesting of note is usually in those reports there was a dumpster nearby <laughs> and they may may have been checking out a dumpster or something late at night it always seems like a lot of the reports i've read and i live in georgia so a lot of the reports i've read out out of georgia um They've either been seen near waterfalls or they've been seen um, in the vicinity of a dumpster, which I find interesting. So they're obviously looking for a free meal. So um, they're adapting to, to modern yeah. society. Right, right. So really, really, really interesting stuff. Now, in, in your own research uh, out in the field, what what would you say is the most compelling evidence that you yourself have run across? Um, tracks, really, and well, but I'd have to be tra- tracks, um, tracks that I have found, and and um, I don't own my own cast yet because every time we find a track, I'm always with somebody that actually spotted it first, and so we agree they get to take the cast home. But <laughs> but, but, but 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 um, but yeah, the tracks that we found and able to cast, um, certainly, you know, that's that's just amazing. And then the um, the other thing is like the unearthly man beast howls that you hear from time to time that you right. know it's not a you know it's not a coyote you know and if you listen to if you listen to the other alleged bigfoot screams that have been recorded all over the united states they you all know basically sound the they, same, they all sound kind of the same they yeah. do and here's an interesting story. I'm kind of famous for my howl in Bigfoot research. Oh, come on. Let's and I, go. Uh, back <laughs> off, back <laughs> off the, the mic. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I can't, I can't, because I've got sleeping children in the next room. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, um, but if you go on our YouTube videos, you can hear me howling a couple of years. But yeah, I, um, I was actually in Louisiana in a swamp, and I um, was doing one of my howls. But unbeknownst to me, some guys that had some really great recording equipment recorded me from way on the other side of the swamp. And by the time we marched back to them, he had already spliced it together with um, one other researcher's howl, and then an alleged Bigfoot howl. And when I got there and I listened to him, the looped sequence together, my howl was almost identical in pitch and duration to the alleged Bigfoot howl. And I'm like, oh, that's, that's so that's awesome. Cool. I've got it down. I speak squatch. So anyway. <laughs> you've kind of, like in the UFO field, you've kind of added disinformation to all of this now. We'll all be all, con- all confused for that's generations right. to come. We won't be able to tell. When you're howling and when Bigfoot's howling. <laughs> right, right. I have to. I have is to there a look. difference between the southern Bigfoot howl and the northern Bigfoot howl? <laughs> well, well, <laughs> and I'm a yeah. southerner, so I can say that. <laughs> yeah, 
the, the yeah. southern howls um, always have about four or five syllables. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, I actually haven't done too much research in the north to say. But but I will say, and I guess this is technically not considered the north, but the best howl I ever heard with my own ears um, came out of West Virginia. So that's as far north as I've heard a really great howl. Well, you, so, you know, uh, we investigated a, a, a sighting uh, of a Bigfoot Lumbering across a golf course in Staten Island into the woods. Really? Absolutely. I report. Oh, wow. This, this is going back many, many years ago. Well, you know, I was a uh, a friend of Ivan T. Sanderson, who, of course, was, I guess, one of the original. He certainly was the one of the first authors on the um, uh, on the Abominable Snowman, and he's the one that was responsible for uh, the media attention of the uh, the Ice Man and the and the Ice. You know the case I'm referring to, right? right. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, Ivan was like the uh, about the only researcher that was known as far as Bigfoot uh, went uh, back in the 19, uh, you know, 50s and 60s. <clears throat> he, he was on quite a number of TV shows. Uh, he was a, a curator, uh, animal curator, and uh, you know, he uh, he was quite knowledgeable on the subject in his book. In paperback, I don't know, it's about four or five hundred pages. It's huge. I believe it's called The Abominable Snowman. And that was done around late fifties. Probably one of the first books on the, on the topic. Wow. So that's so New York, huh? In New York, yeah. I was wondering any reports from Hawaii. You know, um, I had always been told that there weren't any reports out of Hawaii, but probably in the last couple of years, um, someone came back to me when we were arguing about it over the campfire, yes. and they said, no, there is actually a report that's come out of um, Hawaii now. Um, of course, they disguise which- themselves by wearing a grass skirt. But uh- <laughs> so, so, so here's a question. How did they get to Hawaii? Well, you know, they're supposed to be really great swimmers. So perhaps that's they That's an swim. awful long way to swim. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe maybe they built a raft, or maybe it's just the skipper. He got marooned out there. Maybe that's it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, uh, Melissa, uh, unfortunately, we are almost out of time with your segment. But before we let you go here, why don't you uh, tell our audience where they can uh, uh, find out more about you, uh, websites, uh, uh, anything that you uh, 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 want people to uh, uh, to know about. Sure. Um, you can find me on Facebook at Team Squatch Unlimited, or you can visit our page, our Squatch Unlimited page, or the Bigfoot Chicks page. You can also find us on our website, which has, I uh, I wager to say, is the best Bigfoot sighting database out there um, called Encounters on our uh, website, which is SquatchUnlimited.org. Um, you can uh, join for free. It's kind of like uh, its own little social media. So you, it works a little bit like Facebook. So you can friend people and you can talk about anything and all things Bigfoot or Bigfoot related and um, start group discussions and it's just it's great and, and meet that people from cool. your area and it's really cool so I invite everybody to come out and, and check that out SquatchUnlimited.org no, no pun intended got, uh, but that's pretty wild <laughs> we've got links to everything on your uh, show segment page too so people can go there and, and and go right to your page, your page, your pages, I should say. But listen, we really appreciate you being on here tonight. And we thank, of course, Tim Beckley for, for setting this all up. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was great. I'm always happy to talk Wonder- Bigfoot. I'd be wonderful. happy to come on again. Great. Well, Absolutely. Uh, Melissa, hang on, hang on the line here while, uh, uh, while we go to our break here. Uh, and, uh, 
when we when we come back, uh, Tim, who's our uh, who's our guest coming back? Oh, we've got Sean Robbins, who was one of the original Ghost Hunters. She worked with uh, Hans Holzer, who wow. uh, was a huge name oh, in the field. Wow. He might have been he might have been the only name in the field before everybody else jumped on the uh, ghostly bandwagon. Right. All right. Well, okay. So, uh, Melissa, thank you again very much for being with us tonight on The Outer Edge. We hope to have you back real soon. Great. Thanks, guys. All right. Adios. So we can, yep. Uh, Great show. So we'll, Great show. We'll, go to, we'll go to our break here, and uh, when we come back, we'll, we'll have our next guest, uh, Sean Roberts. So please stay tuned for more. You're listening to The Outer Edge on the PSN Radio Network. <laughs> team of professional consultants behind your home or business computer with key information solutions providing solutions to your internet and computing needs while keeping you on the cutting edge of technology preventative maintenance and networking support hardware and custom built computers let key information solutions be your personal tech staff for your home or office with affordable hourly monthly or annual rates to fit anyone's budget call key information solutions now 954-973-3374 That's 954-973-3374 Or visit keyinformation.com Hi, I'm LeVar Burton and I'm proud to be a book person. How do I choose a book? Sometimes it's the cover, sometimes it's the title. I guess I'm pretty visual. If a book's really impressing me and the writing is really good, I will peek and see what the last paragraph is. Because the endings of books should rock you. I am a book person. And if you're a book person too, read to a child and spark a lifetime of ambition. Join me at bookpeopleunite.org because reading is fundamental. A public service announcement brought to you by Reading is Fundamental, Library of Congress and the Ad Council. Green light. Hey, girl. School zone. I'm getting hungry. Car changing lanes. You want to meet me for pizza? Stop sign. 
Intersection clear. Yeah, street. Pizza sounds good. Ball in street? Girl in street! <gasps> It's hard to concentrate on two things at once, like texting and driving. Stop the text, stop the wrecks. How will you stop texting and driving? Tell us at stoptextstoprex.org. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Driving has a rhythm all its own. Don't wreck it with a text. Before you get behind the wheel, silence your phone. Or better yet, designate a texter. For more text-free driving tips, visit stoptextstoprex.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. Green light. Hey, girl. School zone. I'm getting hungry. Car changing lanes. You want to meet me for pizza? Stop sign. Intersection clear. Yeah, street. Pizza sounds good. Ball in street? Girl in street! <gasps> It's hard to concentrate on two things at once, like texting and driving. Stop the text. Stop the wrecks. How will you stop texting and driving? Tell us at stoptextstoprex.org. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Only in the forest can you see this. <laughs> But nothing beats the moment you see that. Cool! That's your child's eyes opening up to a world of possibilities. There are some moments only the forest can inspire. Find yours at discovertheforest.org. Learn about forests near you and discover cool things to do when you go. And you might just see this. Visit discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. You're listening to The Outer Edge Radio with William Michael Mott and Tim Schwartz. Only on PSN Radio. The Outer Edge. I'm Mike Mutt here with the two Tims, Tim Schwartz and Tim Beckley, and it is January the uh, the twelfth. It's it's the twelfth now, yeah. And uh, tonight the call in number, of course, is as usual seven eight six two four five eight one two seven seven eight six two four five eight one two seven. Our Facebook page is facebook.com slash the Outer Edge Radio, or you can go to psn-radio.com and chat live in our chat room. But we probably won't be there, so just give us a call at seven eight six two four five eight one two seven. And now we are joined by our very special guest, Sean Robbins. Sean, well, my mom, my mom used to uh, buy the Inquirer and read your your column. She did. Yes, she and did, did she like it? 
Yeah, I think she did. <laughs> I guess it was a lot of fun, you know, making predictions. And, you know, although the Inquirer always said, go out of the box and make them so unusual, the funny right. thing is, years later, right, it didn't happen sometimes the exact year, right. the predictions came true. Well, you know, I, I remember that one time, I, I don't know if it was you or somebody else, somebody predicted that they would find ruins on the moon. And then you know, that it's was, not impossible. Because and now it's, it's, it's been happening, supposedly. Yes, and that probably was me who said that. And on Mars, right. they are absolutely finding things. Sure. Uh, it, it's incredible, and we're not finished yet. I mean, we haven't even... Uh, excuse me, you know, the surface of Venus. We're, we're really aiming for the stars on this. Wow. Well, you know, Sean, uh, this is the first time I've really had a, uh, a chance to have a conversation with you in, in many years. You and I go um, back uh, quite a number of uh, decades when I was running the New York School of Occult Arts and Sciences, which is one of the first metaphor- metaphysical centers in the, the country. Sean was one of my... Um, uh, instructors, and we had people uh, uh, who, I guess you could say, cut their teeth on the paranormal uh, uh, with us there by uh, lecturing and and giving classes and so forth. And I always uh, uh, enjoyed Sean's company, but I also admired her too because she was always one cut above the average uh, uh, psychic. Now, Sean, for those of you who are not uh, familiar with your background. When did you find out you were psychic, and, and how did people take that? Well, for, <clears throat> excuse me, it runs in my family, so it's nothing unusual. My mother had the ability. My grandmother had the ability. So I grew up in a psychic household where it wasn't frowned upon to just say, hey, someone you know, is going to be, well, unfortunately, someone is going to be ill, or I see you know, something happening uh, because... You know, in my family, we believed all this, and then when the predictions came true, it wasn't as uh, scary, actually. You know, if you know something that's going to happen in advance, you have the option of, A, being prepared, or, B, negating, you know, the uh, the prediction. So we have the option to change our fate, so, so now, what were uh, some of the first experiences that you had growing up, and how old were you? Probably about eight to nine. Uh, my father fell asleep, and there was a electrical... Uh, we had, you know, the outlets that were old, and it started to smoke. And I just had this feeling that there was going to be a fire. So I woke my father up, and I said, you know, there's going to be a fire. I, I feel it. And my father believed me. And what happened within a matter of 20 minutes, there was a fire. And that was, I'd say, really one of the really big experiences that I had. But I think what I'm most known for is predicting plane crashes. And I was the first one to predict the DC-10 plane crash that happened, I think, near Turkey. And I went to the FBI because I knew that there was a problem with the rear cargo door. And the FBI, by the way, at that time, was not, uh, as most people think, you know, adverse to people coming in saying they're psychic. They took down all the information, and lo and behold, it happened, because I also saw some of the names of the people on board. 
I had part of the uh, tail number of the plane. And when it happened, they came back to me, and they then asked me to do, you know, other things for them and to actually, you know, predict or work on crime, including the New York City police. So that was my part of my background, which was, you know, plane crashes, police work, and uh, white-collar crime. You said something kind of interesting there about uh, a free will kind of. You said that if you hear a prediction that you don't, want to happen that you can negate it and make it not happen. Oh, absolutely. How do you do that? How do you do it? Yeah. Very simple. If you know, most psychics, unfortunately, you can't help it, uh, pick up some, you know, we pick up the good things too, but sometimes we pick up illnesses. But if you could see someone, let's say, and they're not, you know, well, then what you do is think, hey, you know, I see something, have you, you know, been to the doctor, Uh, you know, have you checked your eyes out? And lo and behold, let's say someone has uh, glaucoma, but they don't know it. That's an eye pressure problem. You can negate the problem to some degree before it gets worse by going to the doctor, only because the psychic said, hey, I see you having an eye problem. So it doesn't have to turn into blindness. It can right. turn into being, you know, clear sight again. So, in, in some in some ways, your gift can be used just as a warning system. Absolutely, you know, an early ESP, I would call it. Uh, very, very simple. And most people, I know that you probably want to get to this later, but most people, all you listeners, actually can predict their own future. It's not that hard to do. Uh, People think, well, only psychics can do it. Not the case. Everybody can do it. And there's ways actually of doing it, you know, at-home methods that uh, really work for people. It's been used since the dawn of time. And that's uh, the pendulum. I don't know if you're familiar with it. So, oh, yes. So, so what do you think is the source of the ability to see the future? I think everybody has it. Uh, nobody, to me, doesn't have it, but, you know, with the Internet age, nobody is really thinking outside the box or letting their creative energies flow or allow, you know, unfortunately, if you go on Twitter, you're really, you know, dedicated to 144 characters. Well, that's not going to help you, you know, see things in your life. You're going to be only thinking in terms of, you know, very small. You're not expanding the brain. Uh, when you go on Facebook, it's not really the same thing. Actually, Facebook, to me, is a perfect way of increasing your abilities because you're reading about other stories, other things. You'd be you know, reading about ghosts, UFOs. You're expanding the mind on Facebook. But Twitter is really one of the hardest things, and yeah. it does dampen the psychic ability. Wow. How, how did you... Um, now? Uh, Hans Solzer, like I mentioned before, was the probably the original uh, uh, ghost uh, hunter. I mean, as, part, as far as writing books and gosh, he, he must have turned out probably forty, fifty books on on ghosts. Uh, some of which are still in print. I remember he had a encyclopedia of uh, ghosts that would scare the hell out of anybody. I've got I've got a I've got a copy of that book. It is is it huge. is it is it as big as a wasp, Tim? Uh, oh, it's bigger than a wasp. <laughs> oh my goodness! Yeah, anyway, if, you, if you if you would drop that on your foot, 
Yeah. You know, it, it'd be like the cartoons, you know, your foot uh, would just be flat, you know. <laughs> but, but, but Sean, how, how did you hook, because, uh, certainly, uh, Hans was very selective, uh, about the people that he, he worked with. How did you hook up with, uh, Hans and, uh. I would, okay, I was very fortunate to meet Hans in about 19, I think, 71, uh, right around that time period through a mutual friend, uh, well, my friend, uh, Milton Pierce. And Milton knew Hans, and Milton also knew that I was psychic because I had predicted some things in his uh, life that actually came to pass. So Milt introduced me to Hans. And what Hans would do, now this is very, very interesting. He would, he trained me actually to be a medium. And what happens is simply this. I would go to Hans's fantastic house, you know, on the west side, where it was laden with all his books, and I'm talking about hundreds. He actually wrote that many, and he had, you know, the triple copies and so on and so on. And he would have me lie down on his couch, and he would hypnotize me. And in the hypnosis, he would say that you are very psychic, you're going to increase your abilities, and when you wake up, you are going to see things. And then uh, he would ask me questions like, uh, you know, what do you see in the next year? What do you see in the next two years? Do you see anything to do, you know, with ghosts or anything? Is this is my apartment haunted? And basically, uh, unbeknownst to Hans, I always saw shadows in his apartment. And he said that there was something in his den. He didn't know what it was, who it was, but he felt that there was someone, you know, also uh, watching him. And then, and this is very, very important, because we didn't have the Internet. There was no way to check. So Hans and I, uh, through Channel 2 or 4 at that time, asked Hans to do a special on ghosts in Greenwich Village. And Hans asked me to take part in the, uh, the TV special. Uh, I didn't know anything where I was going until one hour before. And there was no way to check because it's not as if we had encyclopedias of ghosts at that time. And I was absolutely, he put me in a trance on TV, and he said, what is it that you see? Well, the brownstone that we were in, I think it was on Gay Street or Barrow Street in Greenwich Village, I said, I see smuggling of liquor, and that in the bottom of this house, you know, it was a brownstone, that this was a bootlegging factory. It turned out it was absolutely true. So going back to the uh, question, can you enhance your psychic abilities? Yeah, through hypnosis helps too. That was one of the methods. And then subsequently, Hans asked me, uh, to find, well, his dear friend Bishop Pike disappeared, and Hans wrote the book, The Bishop Pike Story, and I'm in it, because I said that you would find Bishop Pike's body in the bottom of a ravine. They did find his body in the bottom of the ravine, and that's how I started my relationship with Hans, working with him. How many, how many did, um, supposedly haunted houses did you uh, work on in those days? Say that's slow. Well, how how many haunted houses did you actually go to? With Hans, about yeah. three or four, and it was always you know in the city, in the village, and sometimes actually you know subsequently through the years, 
the Inquirer would also ask uh, me to do stories on haunted houses also or, you know, haunted, you know, places. And you get a feeling. Now, this is interesting. I will make you a bet every one of your listeners has had feelings when they go into, let's say, an old house or they, you know, live in an old house or whatever, that they feel something strange, whether it's a coldness or the chills or the feeling as if, gee, I want to get the heck out of here. That's because people, you're picking up on something. You're picking up on an energy. Most people think, you know, ghosts, uh, you know, you know, look like Casper the Friendly Ghost. They don't. But I predicted in one of my predictions that there will be a machine that actually turns energy, ghostly energy, into matter. There's no doubt that ghosts are uh, simply, you know, an energy matter that can and will be uh, transformed into something real. What's happening now, actually, uh, Tim, if you know some of the machinery out there that's able to take, you know, photographs. Okay. Are you saying it's going to actually be made into solid matter, or is this perceptible? Perceptible. Not solid matter. Not yet. But perceptible enough that you can actually photograph it and see it. Well, now, didn't yeah. we didn't we have uh, ectoplasm at, at one time uh, appeared in a lot of the uh, the seances? Yes, but I'm not a hundred percent sure if that was real or not. During well, uh, there are, obviously there were a lot of uh, uh, hoaxes. It's the equivalent of taking a UFO photo and putting it on YouTube. But I, I certainly right. think that uh, yeah, <laughs> certainly certainly some of the uh, the phenomena itself was uh, uh, real. You know, and most people think oh. It was done in t- seances were done in total darkness, but that's not the case. A, lo- a lot of the mediums did not even bother to uh, lower the uh, their lights, and they had manifestations of one kind or another. I mean, objects would float across the well. You know the you know the stories, and uh, like you say, some of them are, are obviously uh, hoaxes. And Houdini, uh, you know, um, exposed a lot of them, but there, there were a certain percentage of them that do seem to have been uh, actually uh, very uh, legitimate. In fact, there were a couple of mediums that were able to apparently materialize whole body apparitions, which is very rare. Well, the story, Tim, of the Fox sisters, I don't don't know if many people are familiar with them, but they were three sisters, and they lived, I think, uh, upstate New York. Yeah, upstate, yeah, New York, yes. Yes, I think Rochester, but I'm not sure. And unfortunately, you know, what happened is that they heard knocks, and they had seances, and whatever, and whatever, and people, you know, and actually names were given, you know, all you had to do was knock once or knock twice. No, they One knock, code, yes, right. yeah, two knocks, no. And what happened is that uh, it, re- it was revealed that someone died in the house and that he was buried in the house. Subsequently, you know, some people believed it, other people didn't. They made the newspapers that the Fox sisters were making this right. all up. Sadly, 50 years later, they found the bones of the deceased person. And to me, that says something, because there was no way that the Fox sisters would have known that. Well, that was the beginning of the uh, spiritualist uh, movement in uh, in this country, which, of course, had been been, uh, 
going uh, previously in uh, in England to a certain degree. I mean, people were manifesting spirits and so forth, but that was kind of actually the beginning of the uh, spiritualist uh, movement, and it grew and grew and grew for many uh, years uh, until there were quite a number of hoaxes that were revealed, yeah. and it kind of died out. But, you know, there are still uh, several hundred uh, spiritualist churches uh, all over the United States. In fact, I think, uh, Tim, uh, in Indiana, wasn't there Camp Chesterfield? Camp Chesterfield, yeah. yes. I, I, I actually, I grew up just, uh, just uh, a few miles away from Camp Chesterfield. So yeah, uh, very, very familiar with that one. You weren't one of the ghosts in the cheesecloth there, then. Huh? <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> and we also have Lilydale, which correct. is my favorite spot, which I visited, which is fantastic. I mean, first of all, you're talking, about, I call it the highway to heaven. You know, when people go up there, because you know, it's it's you just turn right to highway to heaven, and and you're going to meet uh, someone from the other side that you know passed over. But I totally believe the people at Lilydale, um, some of the finest. Uh, you know, mediums like Ann Fisher and some other people oh, yeah. really have picked up on things about people, and then they actually did a two-hour documentary on Lilydale. So, if and, and then, there, like, then there's uh, Casadega in Florida, which is actually mm-hmm. this uh, the uh, winter uh, uh, commune for the Lilydale uh, people. I guess they some of the mediums uh, travel uh, uh, back and uh, forth. I've been I've been to uh, Casadega in Florida. It's uh, it's quite an interesting uh, trip, and uh, uh, they, they still have one of the old uh, spiritualist uh, uh, halls where they hold their sermons. Now, most people think that probably spiritualism is a lot of levitating and and, and uh, you know writing on slate boards, but actually, it, it's kind of a, a Christianized. Uh, it's Christian. I mean, it's very Christian oriented. They say their prayers and their sermons, and uh, their, read the Psalms and so forth. And then the medium in front of the room may give a couple of cold readings for you know people in the audience and, and so forth. Uh, and uh, one of the original uh, spiritualist halls, it's the Andrew Jackson Davis uh, Hall. Uh, is down there in Florida, in Casadega, and that dates back to about 1860 and all. And I remember being there on a hot July day, and there's no air conditioning, and uh, uh, you wish the uh, uh, you almost feel like the spirits will come and take you. There's no doubt about it. It's just so so uh, blistering hot down there in the um, in the summer, you know. But um, it, it's it's worth a, at least a one trip down to Casadega uh, for the uh, uh, chance to get a good reading from a good spiritualist. Yes, and I, I absolutely believe in them. In fact, uh, in New York City, we used to have. Now I don't. Uh, I don't. Uh, we don't have it anymore. We used to have mediums that did billet readings. Uh, there was one, some Reverend uh, Rosemary something, who was actually fantastic. And many people said that you know she made these things up. That she was able to you know when you yeah. wrote your question down, she, you know she knew the answer. But she actually predicted things for me that were not that came true, that were not on that piece of paper. So I absolutely believe in this. So you do you do think that uh, uh, the spirits continue on after we pass pass away from this lifetime? That uh, we go somewhere else. Yes, 100%. Well, if you believe, as I do in reincarnation, that there are basically are seven stages, uh, and well, you kind of want to reach the seventh stage, which is nirvana. Now, in order to get there, you have to really, to some degree, live a pious life. So, you know, it doesn't mean that you can't smoke or drink or things like that, but it's really... Hell yeah. Not, 
Yeah, I mean, I mean, this poor audience, you know, I think you would lose them in one second if I said you can't do that. You'd, so, you'd, lose, the ho- you'd lose the host. What do you- <laughs> yes, very, very quickly, and I, I would be following suit. Uh, uh, yeah, you're no. right, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, no, you, as long as you don't harm anybody, but you really do have to go through the seven stages uh, to get to nirvana, and nirvana is really the end stage when supposedly it's like, you know, in Buddhism, when you reach the highest level of who you can be, <laughs> and do I believe life goes on after that? Absolutely, the Egyptians, certainly when, you know, they when uh, they buried their dead, the pharaohs and all of that, they put food in the afterlife. Mm-hmm. How did they know about it unless somebody from the other side communicated with them? Well, what, what do you what do you see as as the uh, the modern day explanation for the Egyptian belief in the ba and the ka? Mm. That's something that I I'm honest enough to say I can't answer that, you know, correctly. Right. But they believe that there was a spirit that went on to a transcendent state forever, you know, to the afterlife, and then there was another spirit that's part of your personality, which is left here and is perceived as a ghost, but it's not really you. It's just sort of your animal self, your personality that's left behind. Oh, the, the Hawaiians have uh, a very similar belief, except I think they split it up to like seven different types of... Uh, 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 you know, spirits yeah. or, or whatever, you know, all, all from you, you know, uh, right. Energy, states of, of energy. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Basically. Well, something you guys probably didn't know in the Jewish religion, they say that the spirit, and I absolutely believe this lingers for one year, you know, unless something tragically happens to the person, uh, and then, uh, you know, you can actually talk to the spirit of the deceased, uh, ask for help, and so on. And then, uh, as in most religions, but primarily the Jewish religion, you are supposed to go, let's say something is wrong, uh, you know, you, or let's say you want to, you're not sure if you should change jobs. You go to the grave, you know, of the deceased person, which would be, you know, your parents, and you ask for guidance and help even though they're buried in the ground. In fact, a great example just happened. You may have just read about it in the last few hours. There was a dog, okay, uh, and the puppy was buried. The dog stayed over the burial spot of the little puppy and wouldn't leave. And you hear many stories like that. So... We actually, going back to, you know, what happens, do we, you know, die, do, do we, does our spirit state? Absolutely it does. Well, it's interesting that you mentioned the Jewish religion. I think what you're talking about maybe from the Kabbalah or, or, or maybe even some of the Talmud stuff. But, you know, in uh, the book of Samuel, um, someone goes to someone called the, the witch of Endor or the, the medium of Endor who summons the prophet of Samuel's spirit because Saul just can't wait to find out what's going to happen in a battle the next day and because he can't they summon up the spirit the spirit tells them that, that what they've done is forbidden that it goes against all the laws that God has set in place and as a result they will be cursed and they will die in the battle to come so that seems to be sort of the, the, the general Jewish belief in the, on the religious side. What do you think about that? Totally believe that. Absolutely, 100%. Totally in agreement with you. Yeah. 
I bet you never thought tonight we could be talking about spiritualism, Jewish religion, or any yeah, of this. Cool. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's all interrelated, you know. I mean, what, 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 about, what about uh, the, uh, the voices uh, from the beyond, the uh, electronic voice phenomena, which, which certainly has intrigued me? I mean, I, I've, I've heard some of these... Um, uh, voices, you know, some of them are just and you got to interpret it, and that's not uh, very uh, logical. But some of the stuff that I have heard ha- has been what I would consider to be very remarkable, and does seem to be the voice of some uh, entity, whether it is okay. the actual deceased person or not, or whether it's some sort of recording that's left on the at- you know the atmosphere that we can go back and pick up on, or some people think it's demonic, although I kind of rule that out. I think that's kind of nonsense. You know, it's like saying, well, we're not going to investigate anything because the devil may be behind it. Eh, that seems kind of old, you know, old fashioned. Let me help you yeah. out on that one. And well, thank I- you, Sean. I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> no, because I think we're all yeah, Go ahead. Go ahead. You, you just, okay, you just here tell, we you go. Just share your knowledge. Well, new thread. There's a new uh, topic, but we're going to yeah. talk about the same thing on another level. Cats and dogs, birds, they hear things, they see things, very much like an earthquake. They feel something, and, and I know this as a fact. When we had uh, Hurricane Sandy, the rats in New York City, now this is several days now, uh, came up from the West Side Highway, meaning, you know, uh, the water down there, and what happened is that they started to flood the streets of New York City. They knew the rats, well, well, of course they would know, they knew something was going to happen, but you hear many, many stories where cats or dogs, before an earthquake, because they hear things that we as human beings cannot hear. So can, you know, ghosts uh, talk? Absolutely. Because uh, what you're picking up on is something in the ether, uh, and sometimes you're lucky enough to get that sound. Yeah, I think those rats are probably sensing a huge barometric change come in. They're probably sensing electromagnetic field disturbance in the Earth itself. You know, just kind of like people do, and animals do before earthquakes, like you were saying. I mean, I think they actually are sensing shifts and in, in, in movements in the in the electromagnetic field of the Earth and the gravitational field that, and, they, and it freaks them out because they have this internal uh, sense of well being that, that becomes disturbed. Well, that but, but do you think? Do you think though that that some of these voices are legitimate? That they are talking from some place on the other side. I go both ways because I'm both a skeptic and I'm a believer. I believe a lot of things cannot be explained yet, but eventually will, and that uh, I'm in agreement that the animals picked up on some electric... You know, let's look at it this way. We have Wi-Fi now, right? We cannot see it, right? right? We cannot feel it. But it picks up some energy that allows you to be able to be on the computer right. without being plugged in. Now, We're bathed in it all the time. I, I, yeah. I, I understand spirit communication better than I do Wi-Fi, I'll tell you that. <laughs> well, that makes two of us. But the same principle that's used, let's say, in sending out these signals, or Wi-Fi signals, you're, something is happening that it's able to come through. And I believe the same thing, uh, not all, but most, uh, the garbled sounds, I've heard some of them actually, uh, from other people, and uh, who showed me, you know, their recordings. Do I believe it? 
I trust the people. So the answer is I don't think it was made up. Now, what's your gut feeling on it? Well, there's there's two uh, uh, you know explanations. It, it could be just something random that you. First of all, it could be somebody from another time. It doesn't necessarily have to be a spirit. It could be someone who's uh, you know floating by from another time uh, frame or another uh, dimension. But the way the spiritualists uh, talk about it today, they're actually able, able now to pick up uh, pictures on television sets. They pick up images and transmissions over the internet. Uh, there's a fellow by the name of Mark Macy who has done some, what I consider to be uh, incredible research along this uh, line with the electronic voice phenomena. It's just not voices on, uh, you know, tapes uh, anymore. It's gotten way beyond that. And according to them, uh, spiritualism, you know, your spirit passes over to another civilization or another realm. And they're, you know, you're not just sitting around floating around a cloud. Uh, and some of the people who have uh, uh, passed on and who were, you know, uh, Edison, actually tried to construct some sort of device that he could communicate with spirits. He never quite uh, developed it properly, but yet there are some people who claim that now Edison is on the other side and he's sending back transmissions this way. You know, I don't know. Uh, it's, it's, it's certainly wild and it, it needs to be further investigated, but I, I think it should be scrutinized and I don't, I don't, I don't discount it. I mean, I've, I've had a few things happen to me that tend to prove that there is uh, some sort of um, world beyond this uh, realm that we uh, live in, you know, the physical body. But I don't know if you can prove it to something else. It is, to a large degree, uh, a matter of faith. And, uh, faith. and there is some, uh, you know, research being done on it. And people should read up on it, I guess, and make up their own uh, mind. And we'll never really know until we uh, reach the pearly uh, gates. Until you well, get actually, there. Yep. Yeah. I am going to shock you, Tim. I did reach the Nothing early will gate. shock me that you say, Sean. <laughs> I, I reached it in the 1970s. I was in an auto accident. And what happened is that I uh, was passed out, obviously, and near, uh, well, actually dead, supposedly. And I saw what everyone says they see, not everyone, but most people, the white light, the tunnel. And I went, you know, through the tunnel. I saw my grandmother... I saw exactly what this one scientist even said. You know, the bright lights, what uh, people on the other side, my grandmother, uh, my aunt, and one person who was in a wheelchair who I didn't know. And then what happened is that they were trying to revive me, and I remember my grandmother saying, it's not your time yet, it's not your time yet. And with that, you know, I, I came back. Uh at that moment, I, you know, it was just like something otherworldly. But later on, I asked my mom, you know, I told her what I saw because she's obviously a believer, but I asked her about the woman in the wheelchair. And she said that was a relative that was very, very close to my grandmother, who no one ever really spoke about, but she was in a wheelchair. That doesn't mean that when you get to the other side, you know, you're still in a wheelchair because most people leave all these, you know, earthly things behind. But it was just maybe just a signal to say, you know, the woman in the wheelchair asked the question, and that will validate that your uh, experience was real. So totally, I believe people when they say, you know, they've been through the tunnel of light because I've been there, and I know it exists. Do you think that there's a heaven or a hell, or is it, uh, uh, you know, all just a higher realm? 
I believe it's all a higher, uh, higher, uh, higher realm. I just think that I know what, well, you know, if you go into religion, yes, they're going to say there's hell because they want to, you know, control you to do the right thing and be a good person, and that if you're bad, you're going to go to hell, so to speak. But no, I don't believe in hell. Absolutely not. So, so, so then if someone does, so then where's Adolf Hitler? You know, that's a good one. I don't know the answer to that. I would well, think. What, what about somebody like Jeffrey Dahmer? Is, is he going to go just have all the same good times as everybody else? He is, well, you know, maybe heaven has kind of two gates, you know, left and right, you know, the good people on this side and the bad people I think, on I, the I other. I personally think, it, I think there's a, an elevator that goes straight down. You think? I, I, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. You know, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think we're I think we're thinking along these lines uh, on on human and and earthly terms, and yeah. that when you know when when we get out of this plane of existence and and move on to to higher planes. I mean, you know, we're talking about things that are, you know, incomprehensible to us and our concepts of, you know, like uh, 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 evil and good here on Earth are, you know, I don't want to say they're completely different, you know, be, uh, but, you know, it's just it's it's almost like, you know, maybe, yeah. you know, a, a role was being played here. I, and, I, I think, and when we, and when we move on, you know, yeah. it's just like, well, okay, your role, your role is done well, with, you know. Let's say, let's, let's that say somebody, if somebody tortures and murders your family. Do you think that they deserve to be in a in a happy place and just say, oh, that was well, just that was just no, the role well, they had it's to play? Not, but it's not what we it's not what we think, but the, the, necessarily the way things okay. are. You know, okay, I mean, so, it, so it, then, yeah. so is there a higher power that makes that decision? Oh, I believe there's a higher power, but I do have one question to ask you guys, and it's very simple. To me, life is a never-ending story. So why in the heck would you want to sit and know what's on the other side when you should be on this side enjoying everything that life has to offer? I, I agree. Uh, it doesn't I make it... I... Well, if well, this is a I mean, school... To, to, me, school... To, to, me, uh, to me, I'm interested in, in anything that can't be explained. I, the reason that I'm doing... This show, and we'll be soon doing another one. I um, is be is because I want to learn. I mean, I, I'm to me, right. knowledge is the most important thing that we have to share with our family and our uh, friends. Now, you can't force something down somebody's throat if they don't want to listen to. It's like UFOs, you know. Uh, if you don't want to believe in UFOs, then it has nothing to do with you. Go about your life and watch the. The, you know, the football game on Sunday and your ice hockey and, and have a great uh, time because it's not something that you vibrate to. And speaking of Sean, uh, Sean, speaking of UFOs, this, that UFOs is kind of what brought us together, uh, again, uh, recently because I'm working on a book, uh, Bryce Bond's, uh, he's the inner perfect, perfection. And I remember that you knew, uh, uh, Bryce. So I wanted to get some, uh, inner uh, details, some missing details uh, for the uh, the book, which will be out in a couple of uh, weeks. But I, I know you told me in your communication that you actually uh, talked to uh, Jimmy Carter, who had had a, a UFO sighting, and that because of Bryce, uh, you might have had a UFO sighting of your own in Mexico uh, just a, a couple yes, of years ago. Okay, can you go and, and tell us how to and tell us how to uh, spot UFOs? Spotless. Yes, yes, go ahead. You, you okay. do it all back in three in the, minutes. <laughs> okay. Back in the 1970s, I, I was in Louisville, Kentucky, in a hotel room, 
And I just had a psychic flash to call this Jimmy Carter. Didn't know much about him, didn't know much about politics, but I knew enough that this man was going to be the next president of the United States. Now, at that time, uh, he was governor of Georgia, but he was listed in the phone book. I know that sounds strange, but at that time, they actually had phone books. I called him up. It was about 8 o'clock at night, and I said that I saw him, you know, becoming the next president of the United States, and he wasn't adverse to the phone call, meaning he didn't, you know, cut me off, and he shared that when he was younger, he also saw some UFOs, and that uh, made him a believer. Subsequently, through the years, I met Bryce Bond, since you said we have three minutes, uh, I I'm only kidding the, about that. Go ahead. Yeah. Oh, you were. Well, see, I'm <laughs> not that psychic. <laughs> you know, that's my, it's that's late my, hour. That's my, that's my sense of humor. <laughs> Slap me around. Go ahead. <laughs> and I'm very suggestible. I take everything, you know, yeah. someone there says to go. be the truth. <laughs> so Bryce mentioned that he had uh, seen a sighting, you know, a UFO when he was much younger. Actually, he saw more than one, too. So what we used to do, and it's going to be strange, sounds strange, but it's not. We used to go to Central Park late at night looking for UFOs because Bryce believed when he saw that UFO when he was a child, you know, like seven or eight, you know, very young, that he was being contacted by these, you know, aliens, which to me they're not aliens, they're just another species, uh, you know, of uh, whatever, and that there was an important message that he had to give the world. And Bryce was always in search, wanting to find, you know, the UFO, or mainly because he wanted to find out what the message was. So what Bryce would do is he would hypnotize me before we'd go out, and he would say, you know, if you see something, pardon the expression, say something. Uh, and, you know, we got, went to Central Park. We didn't see it. But... I can tell you, and, and, and this is very interesting, right now, I think in the last six months, there's something called swarm satellites. European Space Agency uh, detected a change in the magnetic field, and our magnetic field is, you know, getting weaker. Now, what this means, supposedly, when the magnetic field gets weaker, more radiation, you know, beams down on the Earth. But it also means that, and I find this very interesting, Tim, and, you know, see if you agree or not. Have you noticed in the past few years there have been more sightings of UFOs than ever before? Or not? I'm not sure about that. I mean, I don't know. Maybe there have. I know there's there's a lot of YouTube videos out there that, you know, that that seem to be there seem to be more and more, you know, stuff showing up on YouTube and and things of that nature. Now I don't know if that's because more people are walking around with cell phone cameras or or what, but uh, something definitely seems to be going on. Well, that's my feeling. So, in order to spot a UFO, it's very easy. It doesn't mean it's going to happen on your first try. But when I was in Puerto Vallarta about two to three years ago, I was on the balcony and it was around two in the morning. And I saw two objects. They were shiny, they were cylinder, and they were silver. And they were hovering above a mountain, but above that mountain was some sort of like poles, which I assume were some sort of uh, electro, you know, electric uh, something, uh, poles, whatever. 
My feeling is that wherever you live right now, if you're in rural America, rural America and you live near some sort of uh, electrical, you know, you know, grid, or if you live near a power line, right. that look up where the power line is to the sky, and you may see something like I did because there were actually the word I wanted to use. It was power lines, you know, on you know, atop the mountain, and right. then. Uh, if if you do that, it's so simple. You don't, you know, you could take a camera or not. Sometimes the UFOs are so quick that in the yeah. flash of an eye they could disappear. But if you put your, let's say, uh, you know, smartphone on, you know, to camera or whatever, you might catch what the human eye can't see for that split second. But yeah. it's very easy to do, and most people think, well... You know, I'll never see a UFO in my lifetime. That's not true. There's more sometimes going on you, now. Sometimes you even get them by accident. Yes. But yeah. here is what I'm telling people to do it. Go out, go near, you know, some sort of a pole, electrical, you know, grid or magnetic, some, whatever, and look to the sky. You know, give yourself 10 minutes, blink your eyes, because uh, you can't keep staring. And if you do this, the odds are you may spot a UFO. Wow. Now, is it another thing, too? If you do this before a storm is coming, there's more electrical, you know, how do you say it? The air is more electrified. And right. uh, with, I think, negative ions, you may be able to see something, uh, you know. Especially if it's something that has some sort of cloaking technology, you will probably be more likely to see it just due to, like you said, the ions in the air, the, the static charge. Oh, Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. But I have to say one thing why, you know, I totally believe in UFOs. In the 1950s, 1940s, we did not have, photo sh- you know, photoshopping where you can just, you know, take a photo and, and make believe right. it's a UFO. Those were real. They couldn't have been photoshopped. And they were too similar, too many. Some people today are saying that... Uh, well, those were government, um, whatever, whatever, you know, the government, you know, spy planes or whatever. Well, I don't believe it because there's no way, and I've seen too many of them. And, Tim, you know, you must have seen as many as I have of these photos. There's no way those were photoshopped. Those were real. For back in the old days? Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, so, a lot of, you know. She's she's referring to you know the FBI or FBI the CIA just recently came out right. and said oh yeah most of the UFOs that people saw like the fifties yeah. or sixty were our U two spy plane it's like oh come on give yeah, me a break two, it's so high you can't even see it with the naked eye that's just ridiculous but you know I mean they they always do that and that tells you that they are trying to cover something up or they wouldn't they wouldn't come out with something so ridiculous um, we're kind of getting we got I guess we got about what ten about ten more minutes. We got um, yeah we we got about yeah. uh, maybe maybe a little bit more than that because you know we got a little yeah, late start that's today true. on the air so you know you know there. hey uh, fellas by the way uh, uh, Jimmy Carter's UFO sighting they they tried to tell Jimmy that all he saw was the planet Venus but there's a, um, a movie there's a film coming out a documentary coming out I believe in April or May uh, that was uh, shot by an independent filmmaker down in. Uh, Georgia, where Jimmy had his sighting. And, you know, it turns out that there was a mini flap going on uh, in that particular town 
if you, if you, in fact, if you go, just Google Jimmy Carter UFO uh, sighting uh, movie, uh, you'll 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 find a trailer. There's like a two or three minute trailer on this. There were other people that had sightings around the town, and there were a couple of cases where these objects actually land, and one that uh, hovered over the water tower just outside of town. So it it wasn't the planet Venus. There was a, a, a UFO wave going on when uh, Jimmy sighted his uh, had his right. UFO experiences. I find that interesting. Or how yeah. about the uh, uh, the astronauts who've seen things in space, or your airline pilots that said something whizzed by me, and it wasn't uh-huh. a drone for yeah. sure because the, you know our drones are tiny. What they saw were big objects that they were afraid of. In fact, there was oh yes, oh, years ago where a plane actually had to divert, died down. Because he felt the pilot felt he was going to crash into the UFO. Mm. Now, if if it was a drone, we didn't have them then, you know. And we certainly the drones that we have are so tiny. There's no way, you know, it's no. a big object. I mean, uh. one has to be realistic. The pilots saw something. The astronauts, uh, which were ten actually, which was the uh, well, you know, I, I well, uh, um, I talked to uh, uh, Buzz Aldrin. Uh, well. Buzz Aldrin had a sighting of something, but he doesn't like to discuss it. Now, uh, uh, Gordon Cooper uh, was a big believer in UFOs. In fact, he called me on he called me on the phone one time to discuss his sighting. Uh, this wasn't when he was out in outer space, but he had two different experiences. He was stationed in Germany in the uh, mid 1950s, and he said that these dish-shaped objects were coming over on almost a daily basis for three or four days. They would send up the fastest planes that they had at the time to try to, you know, close in on the objects and get a better lo- uh, look. And they always outdistanced them, uh, you know, just the snap of a finger, they would be uh, they would be uh, gone when the uh, plane zeroed in on them. Uh, also, two years later, he was stationed at Ed. Edwards Air Force Base in California, where there had been a lot of UFO uh, activity uh, over the uh, years. And uh, apparently uh, one day, uh, several of the men under his command came rushing into the uh, uh, office where he had his uh, headquarters, you know, and uh, they had a film with him. And he had it developed and it showed an object that had actually landed on the dry lake bed there, tripod landing gear, the whole thing had stayed for a couple of minutes on the ground. I guess it was then it shot off into the sky. Now, he was uh, mesmerized by this. He said he watched the uh, uh, the film over and over and over again, and he was convinced that it was something not of this uh, uh, planet. And he uh, sent it on to the, uh, either the Pentagon or his uh, uh, superiors in Washington, and they said that they would get back to him uh, shortly with some sort of uh, explanation. And of course, uh, he never heard a, a thing about the film uh, after that. So he was one of the big believers in UFOs. And uh, many years ago, I spent uh, two or three days at uh, NASA headquarters in uh, Washington, D.C., uh, going over uh, all the transcripts of the uh, astronauts in space. And, and I would say that there were a good uh, probably 10 or 12 uh, sightings. And they tried to hide the fact. They'd say, oh, it was just the wind in the rigging or it was Santa Claus. That was a big term that the, they always used when they were trying to, uh, you know, cover up some legitimate UFO uh, sighting. And I wrote a couple of articles about that and interviewed the astronauts at the time. And uh, NASA even gave me a packet full of UFO photographs that the uh, astronauts had uh, uh, taken. Most of them were lights in the sky, but I remember... There was one that uh, uh, they took from the space station, and and this thing looked like a, a giant airplane in outer space, you know, way above the wow. uh, atmosphere. And uh, 
I published it in a couple of articles. In fact, it's uh, reprinted in uh, my book, uh, Strange uh, Saga, which you can get off Amazon.com, you know. And, right. Which is a fantastic, I have to say, that's a fantastic book, by the way. Oh, thank you. You know, well, we have, oh, Sean, we're now, we're, we're Sean, we're now up to about 200 books, uh, all of which are on, uh, available on Amazon. Uh, Dot com and if I can give myself a flagrant uh, plug and that and, includes and you all should. Us, yeah <laughs> we should and, and of course Tim Tim Schwartz and Mike Mott have contributed to a lot of these works you just go to uh, Amazon and type in Timothy Beckley and most of the books by myself that I've worked on because I always attach my name to it all pop up as well as uh, other authors like Brad Steiger and uh, T Lomsigrappa right. and uh, Sean Castile and 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 what have you and we've got some marvelous books with some of the best covers uh, in the uh, world. <laughs> and you also have some, the UFO books are fantastic uh, that you did. Uh, if I remember, you well, we we you know we we try to keep even if I'm not a personal believer in some of the stories, uh, we try to keep a lot of the old works that have uh, slipped into public domain uh, in print. Even if they sell two or three copies a uh, month, you know, gone are the days when you would uh, fill up your uh, garage or your basement with books, with uh, books on demand. Now you print them as your orders come along. So right. you can keep a lot more books in, in print and and nobody could tell the difference. You know, when print on demand books came out, they look, they were rather sloppy. I, I won't mention a certain printer, but uh, there was one yes. printer. Who, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we we know that printer. <laughs> yeah, but, but but anyway, so no, you know now now it doesn't cost you anything. Pretty much to put a, keep a book in uh, uh, up on Amazon, and they print it for you and ship it out, and it's all a you know a great uh, great thing. And it's a it's a the new age of uh, technology, even if uh, Sean and I don't understand it. Hey, that Jim. is absolutely true. <laughs> I totally Jim, agree. I, I was going to ask Tim. On this uh, this giant plane in space, do you think yes. that that could be a uh, uh, sort of the breakaway civilization? Oh type well, thing? You know, yeah, probably so. I, I had never thought of that, but that that would seem to be a, a good enough explanation for it. That would be our uh, book, uh, uh, Tim. What is it called? The Secret Space Program. I think that uh, right, right. Yeah, we, yeah. Uh, you know, yeah, I, that, I do. I know we're running it, out of time here, and I do have an, a um, uh, kind of a sad announcement. I'm going to be leaving you guys. Oh man! This will be uh, this will be, I believe, my last uh, uh, show co-hosting because I'm going out on my own. I'm spreading my wings, and I will be <laughs> co-hosting with my longtime associate uh, Carla Anderson, uh, raveling the secrets, unraveling the Unra- secrets, unraveling the secrets. Well, yes, That's yes. Right. Which I guess you guys were uh, once. Uh, were you not Tim uh, uh, host of that? Yep. Yeah, we hosted so- that show. Okay, so I will be taking over. I am putting my foot down, and I will be taking over along with uh, Carla in um, February. And I think we're going to have some exciting – but I love you guys, and I hope I can sneak in the back door any time. Tim, you can't. Listen, <laughs> yeah, well, listen. Yeah, well uh, let's, keep, let's keep that a little open, okay? Yeah. yeah. But no, seriously, though, it's, it's, it's fitting that you are taking over Unraveling the Secrets because uh, one of the guys that started that show was none other than Dennis Crenshaw. That's correct, my old buddy. Absolutely. Yeah, so, you know, it's kind of like a Hollow Earth guy started it. Uh-huh. Hollow Earth researchers going back to finish take- it off. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! Well, anyway, you'll you'll find all about it on uh, Facebook. I hope my first guest will be uh, Ted uh, Phillips, who who doesn't uh, you know. Um, uh, 
uh, talk that much. You know, he, he's not out in the public as much as he uh, used to be, but he's promised he'll be on the show. And, and we're going to do something a little bit different, I think. Uh, we're going to start the show off uh, every week, if possible, with a... Um, uh, a UFO experiencer, somebody that I find on uh, the internet or on Facebook or on YouTube and question them about their UFO sightings. And I like to have people on, and I think we've done that, uh, you know, my, my part in, in this show here too, bringing on people who have not been overexposed. I want to find out what people, know, uh, other people know about UFOs. People ask my opinion, and you know what I always say? It doesn't matter what I think about UFOs. UFOs act independently of my thinking and everybody else's. Right. So, uh, Sean, why don't you give us a little rundown on, on where people can find you and what you'll be doing next. Well, I, I, you can find me on Facebook, which is easy, and I have a book out right now called Wikipedia, uh, W-I-C-C-A-P-E-D-I-A on Amazon. What I think your guests, you know, uh, your audience would like most about the book even though it talks about wicker, the second part teaches you how to become a psychic, which is fascinating. There's chapters devoted to that. So, so if you what, want do you, to, what, what do you see as the source of, of, of psychic ability? I mean, outside of the human condition, is there a greater power that, that drives this? I honestly believe it's a genetic uh, uh, trait that I have, meaning it's passed down through families. And that uh, scientists uh, discovered that there is, now this is just, you know, in the past, but they're now starting to believe that there is a part of the brain, one where they could pick up religious experiences and, you know, right. and see how it works on the human brain. But they can also do it when you uh, pick up, you know, events. And I used to, believe it or not, I was the, one of the first original three psychics that worked for the CIA on the Stargate program, right. which was to basically spy, you know, on the Russians and to find out where their subs were. And the government uh, had this program. It was called the Stargate program. My name, uh, code name, was Madame Zodiac. But I honestly believe that we are entering a new era, and in the next less than five years, scientists are going to discover the psychic gene, believe it or not that it's there, that we all have it, it can be developed like myself, and that we all have the ability. Cool. All right, fantastic. Well, uh, Sean, unfortunately, we have to uh, uh, wrap wrap it up for tonight. So uh, once again, now, uh, what's the name of your book? Wikipedia. Wikipedia, and we, we can find that on Amazon? You can find that on Amazon. And give the listeners your website, if you would. But you're going to laugh. I am a social media newbie. And okay. so I can only tell you, you know, to, to uh, key in on Facebook, Sean Robbins. Okay. We have a link to your Facebook page on the, the show description for tonight. Fabulous. So. Okay. We, well, we and, appreciate uh, you coming on, too, by the way. Yeah, thank you very much, Sean. And uh, Tim Beckley, when uh, uh, when is your show... Uh, 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 it, it's going to be on the PSN Radio Network, correct? Yep. Did we, yep. Did, we lo- did we lose Tim? I don't know. Yep. But yeah, we might I, have I believe Tim. it. Unraveling the Secrets is still coming on uh, in our same time slot, but on Saturday night, I think. Yeah, Saturday um, nights. I think it starts at midnight. Right. Fabulous. Midnight 
That's yeah. right. That's right. All right. Well, we're going to have to wrap it up here. Sean, thank you very much for uh, being on with us tonight. And uh, uh, we hope uh, maybe you can come back again with us again in the future. You betcha. And I want to wish you and your listeners a happy and healthy new year. All you too. Right. Thank you very much. Well, uh, you've been listening to The Outer Edge with uh, Tim Swartz, myself, Mike Mott, Tim Beckley, and uh, we just got through talking uh, with uh, Sean Robbins. And uh, so tune in next week uh, for uh, another fascinating program. So for all of us, thank you for listening, and we will see you somewhere on The Outer Edge. So good night. Yeah.